went to great lengths to rescue lost and hurting people. That's what the story is all about. The story of the Bible. God's great love affair with humanity. love the church. I love this church. And this church loves me, which is kind of a miracle. But we might love you too, if you're real good. We are glad you're here today. We're in this story series. We're in chapter 10 of the story. And if you don't have a story Bible, we encourage you to pick one up. They're uh, out of the auditorium. As you go out to your right, you can find these. And we've been looking at God's upper story. And in that, we find our lower story. We see the lives of other people that God has used, God has guided, God has put us under, if you will, at times. And in this story, we're discovering that God is at work. And so I know on any given Sunday, there's all kinds of stories that people bring in. Some are good and some are not so good. But God is great. And He's working. And so... I'm going to ask you a little audience participation. Complete this simple phrase with me. Pride comes before the fall. We know this to be true. And so we're in 1 Samuel today. And 1 Samuel is a great place to do character studies. And we see that God will exalt the humble and he will bring uh, discipline to the pride-filled. This next video will help you find the context of 1 Samuel, and I, I pray that if you haven't been reading the story, that you'd start, because it's got a great message for all of us. During the time when God sent judges to help Israel, there was a woman named Hannah. Hannah really wanted to have children, but was unable to. One day, she was so sad about this that she burst out crying and praying to God to give her a son. One of the priests of Israel named Eli was nearby and heard her and assumed she was drunk. How long are you going to stay drunk, he said to her. Put down your wine. Hannah explained that she was not drunk, but weeping and praying for God to give her a son. When he heard this, he prayed that she would indeed have a son. Soon after, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel. When he was a young boy, she brought him back to Eli, the priest, and the two of them prayed that God would use Samuel. One night, when Samuel was a little older, God spoke to him in his room telling him about things that would happen in Israel in the future called prophecies. This was the beginning of a special relationship between God and Samuel. God would use Samuel to speak to the Israelites over and over as a prophet. But the Israelites weren't satisfied with the prophet. They wanted a king, a military ruler like the other nations around them had. Despite Samuel's warning against it, they demanded God give them a king. Eventually, God told Samuel who to make king, a man named Saul, who was easily a foot taller than any other man, someone the Israelites would trust to lead them. 
brought Saul in front of all of Israel. When the Israelites saw him, they shouted, Long live the king! Hearing that Israel had a new king, the Philistines gathered a huge army so large that some of the Israelites ran away in fear. But Samuel gave instructions to Saul that would lead to their victory. He told Saul to wait in a region called Gilgal until he could meet him there. Then they would give a sacrifice to God before the battle with the Philistines. But Saul grew impatient, and before Samuel got there, he offered the sacrifice himself. Saul's actions had terrible consequences. He continued to choose to go against what God commanded and instead build up his own wealth and power leading to the end of his rule in Israel. It was time for another king. Great examples of Hannah and Samuel being humble and obedient and then Saul, a man who just his own pride got in the way, and it caused great destruction to him and to the nation. We adore stories of humility. And matter of fact, whether you believe in God or not, you probably agree with this statement. Choices that flow from a humble attitude bring blessing, and choices that rise from selfish pride result in destruction. So whether you believe in God or not, whether you read the Bible or not, this statement is really uh, lived out in our own pop, cu our own pop culture, we know this to be true. So some examples of uh, selfish characters, pride-filled characters in pop culture. There's Sermon from uh, Lord of the Rings or Darth Vader from Star Wars or Sheldon Cooper from The Big Bang Theory. Narcissistic, you know, selfish individuals that either bring destruction to a nation or just a lot of problems to a show. Um, but uh, all of us, when we see these types of characters in stories, whether they're uh, movies or books, um, we're, we're just, we're just kind of repulsed at that. We don't like that. The reason we don't like that is because every human is created in God's image, and it takes professional help to like that. But uh, there are other examples in pop culture of uh, people who demonstrate you know, a humble attitude and bring blessing. Uh, there's Harry Potter's uh, uh, Hermione... Gr I got that wrong. Grain Hermione Granger. I got it wrong. I practiced it. I'm not a Harry Potter fan. Right, but I'm trying to be relevant. So, uh, so anyway, uh, Miss Granger, and uh, then there's Katniss Everdeen from uh, Katniss Everdeen. Come on, yeah, Hunger Games. All right, and let me see if you can guess one more. Erwin uh, from Lord of the Rings. Right, remember the? Never mind. All right, so <coughs> probably got her name wrong again. But the point is that when we see those characters in our stories, our movies, our favorite uh, tales, we we, we love their actions of humility, of selflessness, and how that brings blessing to others. Now, we're going to be looking at some non-fictional characters in 1 Samuel and the decisions that flow from their attitudes. And so this first one is Hannah. Now, Hannah is a woman who's barren. It means she doesn't have children. Uh, she's part of a, 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 of a, of a family where uh, her husband has another bride. And so uh, Hannah... She uh, is desperate for a son because in those days to have a child meant everything. And so she made a vow saying to the Lord Almighty, if you will look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. So 
Hannah, married to Elkanah, he, he has this other wife, Penea, and she has multiple children. And so, uh, I don't know what this guy was thinking, but he had multiple wives, and that had to be multiple problems. But in those days, it was accepted. It wasn't approved by God, but it was accepted because in those days, if you didn't have a spouse, if you didn't have a son, you were uh, a, a prime target to be taken advantage of or even uh, even worse. And so, uh, Hannah is begging the Lord for a child. Now, <clears throat> she petitions the Lord in prayer for this son. She could have went to one of the Canaanite gods of fertility. She could have went and offered a sacrifice to a pagan god. She could have retaliated against Penea, the other wife of Elkanah, and, 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 and fought against her and tried to, tried to harm her some way. But she humbles herself, and she comes before the Lord, and she begs the Lord for a son. Now, we know that the Lord, because we've read the book, we've watched the video, we know the Lord's going to do that. And Hannah's, Hannah's, Hannah will have to follow through on this commitment, this commitment that she will bring her son to have lifetime service at the tabernacle. So I, I know there's some parents in here with three-year-olds, some grandparents in here with two- and three-year-olds, right? What would it be like for you to beg the Lord in prayer for a child, and you receive that child, and then at three, you carry them to the tabernacle to begin their training to serve the Lord. I mean, that's a big step. But she's a woman of integrity and humility, and she follows through on her vow, and the Lord blesses her. As a matter of fact, she's going to have five more children after Samuel. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. Eli was the high priest at that time. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There was not many visions. So the word of the Lord was rare is a phrase that means that Israel is disobedient and God is not speaking to Eli because he's not doing such a great job in leading Israel. His sons are causing all kinds of havoc and problems. And so we, we have this, uh, uh, this statement that, that Samuel comes into an environment where integrity and humility and obedience is, is not seen, not, a, not demonstrated before him, it, that the nation of Israel is fallen into some immoral activity, even the high priest's sons, whom Samuel would have been rubbing shoulders with in the presence of the tabernacle proper. And so uh, what he does is Samuel follows the, follows the Lord. He follows the Lord's leading. It's rare in corrupt organizations that someone who's low on the totem pole will rise to a position of integrity. But Samuel does. He follows through on being a righteous person. So we read that Samuel is, uh, is hearing the voice of the Lord in, uh, in 1 Samuel 3.10. We read, the Lord stood, uh, came and stood there calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And then Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. So the Lord's presence comes into the tabernacle and speaks directly to Samuel. Three times. At first, Samuel thinks it's Eli calling him, but then he realizes that it's the Lord calling to him. And he says, speak, for your servant is listening. This happens at my house all the time. I'll go, Marie, Marie. And she'll reply, speak, for your servant is listening. You guys ought to try that. <laughs> we offer 
marriage counseling. <laughs> anyway, Samuel, Samuel is, uh, he responds to the Lord. And, and the reason he responds is because before he was even born, even before he was conceived, his mother is praying that God would give her a son that would be devoted to the servant of Yahweh. And it changes the nation, as we'll discover as we unfold this story. There's a guy named George McCluskey. Uh, he uh, decided after he got married that he would begin to pray for his children. And so between the hour of 11 and 12 noon, he would pray for his children. As he began to have children, he began to pray for his grandchildren. As his grandchildren grew up, he began to pray for his great-grandchildren. From his two daughters, they go out and they marry godly men. And those men step into ministry. Their families are in full-time ministry. From their children, uh, their offspring come uh, another wave of preachers and servants in the Lord's church. And then from their children come yet another wave. Now, one young man felt the pressure of the family tradition to step into full-time ministry. But he resisted that. He didn't feel the Lord's calling. He wanted to get into psychology. And so he studies psychology, and one of his first things that he does is starts a radio program called Focus on the Family. And his name is James Dobson. And he goes on to establish um, uh, helpful uh, books and, and, and shows and, and writings that will help families with all kinds of problems. Because there was a guy named George McCluskey who got on his knees in pray, prayer and prayed for his children his grandchildren, and his great-grandchildren. And it affected a nation. Parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, you make sure that every day there's a spot on your day to pray for your kids and their kids. It's so important. And so Hannah's faithfulness, her humility, it, it, it sets her son up into to, to a life that he would make a difference. Now, he becomes a... Uh, a leader in Israel, but not overnight, because the nation is being oppressed by the Amorites and the Philistines, some neighbors who are uh, idol worshipers. And Israel's got their own problems with idols. As we know, this is a big part of Israel's story throughout the Old Testament. But they're experiencing years of oppression, and they go up to fight the Philistines. And we read about this in 1 Samuel 4.10, when they're fighting them that Israel's defeated and they fled every man to his home and there was a very great slaughter 30,000 foot soldiers of Israel fell and the ark of God was captured and the two sons uh, of Eli Hopni and Phineas died and when when Eli's here hears the news he dies himself he's so overwhelmed by this terrible news that really it doesn't say that he was sad about his sons passing away although he probably was He's sad that the ark of God is carried away because that was a symbol of, for Israel's God and it had been taken over by uh, the Philistines. And so in that day and time, when you had somebody's idols, you were controlling their God. And so that was sort of the, 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 the thinking. But Samuel calls Israel to repentance. And we read about this in 1 Samuel 7. So Samuel said to all the Israelites, obviously he's grown up some. There's been about 20 years passed since this moment that he received this call from the Lord in the tabernacle. And he says, if you're returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and the Asherahs and commit yourselves to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. Then Samuel said, 
Assemble all Israel at Mizpah, and I will intercede with the Lord for you. Now, <clears throat> what he does here is he, there's this very significant place in, the, in, the, in the, the, the land of Israel, Mizpah, which means watchtower. And he calls the people of Israel, the leaders, to go there for a revival, for a time of, uh, of, of committing themselves once again to the Lord's purpose in their lives. And so there's, there's all these people that assemble. There's confessing of sin. It's one of the greatest revivals in the Old Testament happens at Mizpah. And so in this moment, people are taking water and they're pouring it out on the ground, symbolic of pouring themselves out before the Lord. There's these confessions of sins. There's a sense of being cleansed of foreign uh, idols and, and all the things that brought all this significant uh, discipline from the Lord upon them. But there's also another group, right? The Philistines, and they hear about Israel gathering at Mizpah. And so they said, hey, look, they're all assembled there. They're all in one place. Let's go wipe them out completely. And so the Philistine army begins to make their trek to Mizpah. And many of the Israelites hear about it, and they begin to tremble. And Samuel says, steady now. We're going to continue to worship. He offers a sacrifice to the Lord. The Philistines have encircled the Israelites at Mizpah. God speaks in a thunderous voice, confuses the Philistines. The Israelite men get up with their swords, and they put the Philistines to death. And so, I mean, could you imagine a worship service like that? I mean, our enemies are surrounding us, right? And we're in here praying. It's like, nope, one more song, and then the Lord will speak. And when he speaks, they're just brought asunder outside, and we pull out our sword called the Word of God and walk up to him and begin to preach the gospel. And thousands repent, right? It would just be an amazing moment. Well, that's, I mean, we go, ah, ha, ha, ha. But that's what, kind of what happened in that moment. Israel's enemies were defeated because they humbled themselves before the Lord, and the Lord moved his mighty hand. Well, time passes, about 20 years. And Samuel's sons begin to imitate the, 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 uh, the immorality of Eli's sons. They begin to uh, bring discredit to the leadership of Israel, Samuel and, and, and the high priesthood. And they begin to participate in some of the same sins that, that, uh, that uh, Eli's sons did. And this, this brings uh, disrespect to the leadership of Samuel and it also will bring a new set of consequences, a new set of choices with following consequences that will be very oppressive to the nation. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah, and they said to him, You are old. <laughs> nice way to talk to your leader. You're old, and your sons don't follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. We want a king over us, and then we will be like other nations. It seemed like to everyone there was no problem at all if we just had an earthly king, if we just could imitate the nations around us. If we could just be like the nations around us, everything would get better. It would solve our problems. So Samuel feels rejected because he's been leading Israel now for quite a while. They had some highs and now they're coming to a new low. And he feels rejected. So he goes before the Lord in prayer and the Lord tells him, they're not rejecting you, Samuel, they're rejecting me. And so go and tell them the consequences of this choice, this prideful choice to want an earthly king and reject me. And so Sammy goes and he tells them, okay, your men are, 
your men are going to be carried off to battle. They're going to have make implements of war. Your women are going to have to create food and perfume for the king. And everybody's going to be taxed. Is that what you want? And the people go, yeah, that's what we want. We want a king who will tax us. And he's like, all right, you're going to get what you want. Has not every parent probably gone through some episode like this where they get tired of their kids rebelling against their instruction to eat right? And so one afternoon you go, you want some candy? I'm going to give you all the candy you want. So you get all, you know, nerds and Twix bars and all those kinds of things out. And you say, eat, eat more, eat a lot. And then you steady them as they go to the front door and just puke it all out on the lawn, you know. And you're like, now, do you understand that sometimes when you get what you want, it's not the best thing. And so sometimes God gives us what we want. And it is not the best thing. And so he gives Israel what they want. How it must have broke God's heart to hear Israel call for an earthly king and reject, essentially reject him. And so what Israel did was they chose the pattern of this world over God's will. They could have, you know, just said, Samuel, you need to talk to your sons. They're disobedient. They're setting a terrible example and discipline could occur. But no, they're just going to reject God, reject his pattern for leadership and choose their own. Our nation is struggling with things like this. Our families struggle with things like this. A couple weeks ago, William Barr, the Attorney General, gave a speech at Notre Dame before faculty and law students that was just brilliant. And what he said in there, I wish our nation, I wish our church especially, would pay attention to. Here's one excerpt from the speech. He says, we, meaning America, calls on the state to mitigate social costs of personal misconduct and irresponsibility. So the reaction to a growing illegitimacy is not sexual responsibility, but abortion. The reaction to drug addiction is safe injection sites. The solution to the breakdown of the family is for the state to set itself up as a substitute husband for single mothers and the substitute uh, father to children. The call comes for more and more social program, programs to deal with the wreckage. While we think we're solving the problems, we're underwriting them. And it is so true. The problems that our families experience, our nation experience, that you experience on a personal level, are not solved with more government and more, more earthly solutions. The solution is Jesus. The problems to the soul are healed by the great physician. He's the one that holds, uh, that, that holds out uh, healing. And, and, and like, uh, like, like Russell was saying, a grace place a place where we find acceptance. He goes on to say at the, at the conclusion of that speech, he says, we understand that only by transforming ourselves can we transform the world beyond ourselves. This is a tough work. It is hard to resist the constant seductions of our contemporary society. This is where we need grace, prayer, and the help of the church. There are people in high places that get it that see that the pattern of this world is not the solution to the problems that we face, that the nation needs to turn back to the Lord. And so Israel chose the pattern of the world to, to deal with their issues, and it didn't work. 
It just brought more trouble. Paul says in Romans 12, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And so we, the church, we're called out from the world to set a different example, to live a different way, to love people nobody loves, to try and come up with ways to help people in need. And we're trying. We're not getting it all done, but we are trying. And we would like everyone, a part of this congregation, to partner with us in some of those attempts. Maybe all those attempts if you have the time. But, but the thing about it is, like, we are called to lead others away from the things that are destroying them. So God gives them what they want. He gives them Saul, son of Kish, to be their leader. And, uh, and, and he tells, Saul is told by Samuel, if you do what the Lord tells you to do, you'll be blessed. If you don't do what the Lord tells you to do, you're going to be disciplined. You're going to be, you're going to be brought to destruction. And so uh, this first king of Israel, he's going to go out and fight their enemies. And so uh, the spirit of the Lord rests on him and he rallies the troops and they have this great victory. But they're told he's given some very specific instructions on what to do after the end of the battle with the Amalekites. He says, now go attack the Amalekites and totally destroy all that belongs to them. I looked at the word all once before. Maybe you have two, and the word all, you know what it means? All. And guess what he doesn't do? He doesn't destroy all. He doesn't destroy the king. He doesn't destroy the cows. He doesn't destroy the sheep. He, he comes up with this idea that there's some, there's, there's some options here, and he's going to keep some things alive. And so Saul and the army spared Agag, the best of the sheep and the best of the cattle and the fat of the calves and lambs, and everything was good, everything that was good. And these were these they were unwilling to destroy completely. It seems kind of insignificant. I mean, he, he does take it to him. I mean, Lord brings victory. But when it comes to being obedient to what Samuel command, he's disobedient. And so he gave very specific instructions. And then we see that Samuel chooses options over obedience when I mean, Saul chooses option over obedience. When Samuel arrives, he says, uh, he said to Saul, or Saul says to him, the Lord bless you. I've carried out your instructions. This is kind of funny. Samuel says, then, then why am I hearing the sheep, right? Why am I hearing the cows? If you've done what you were instructed to do, why do I hear these animals? And so he chose options over to God's uh, being, being obedient to God's commands. And Samuel confronts him, and he becomes defensive. Have you ever done that? You know you're not doing right. Either you read it in the Word, or someone says it to you, and you begin to bristle up and buck up and begin to rationalize why you did what you did. It, it just seemed to make sense you know, to me, and I, I kind of I understand what the Lord wants, but I've got some options here. I think I'll choose that instead. And so rather than repenting, which might have turned it around, he, he bucks up. And, and so Samuel uh, is, is, is teaching us something here that, that it is better to obey than sacrifice. Here's what Samuel says to Saul. Does not the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as obeying the Lord? Mm -mm. It's better to obey. I mean, it's, it's, it's better to obey than sacrifice. And to heed is better than the fat of rams. 
So Saul chose what he thought was a logical option, but that, that logical option to him was actually disobedience. Unless it's complete obedience, it remains disobedience. God does not want us to second-guess his instructions. He, he knows more than us. The, the rules, the laws, the commands, the suggestions, if you want to call them that, are, to, are guardrails in our life to keep us from destroying our lives. And so he wants us to trust him in all things. God's love language is obedience. Some of you have studied the five love languages by Gary Chapman. God's love language is obedience. Jesus even says, those who love me will obey my commands, but it requires surrender. In Luke 9, Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. There is no more humbling thing that you will ever do than surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Because when you give him options, it's disobedience. It's really difficult to follow God's will. Let me give you some examples. The Lord says, reconcile. Actually, Matthew 19, Jesus gives us a process to bring reconciliation to people we're at odds with. And so sometimes, rather than choose reconciliation, if it's possible, you know, rather than choose that path, we'll choose avoidance. So we're at odds with this person. So when we see him at church, school, work, in the neighborhood, we just, we're just going to kind of give a little bit more distance because we really don't want to talk to them. You know, we're choosing avoidance over reconciliation. Uh, sometimes people will, ch will choose acknowledging God rather than surrendering to God. So it goes like this. There's old Joe, and he's got this attitude. He's like, me and God, we got, a, we got an understanding. I believe in him, and, and every once in a while, you know, I try to help people out, but this going to church and this, like, you know, doing what he commands to come around the Lord's table and, you know, follow the lead of the, like, I'm not, I'm, you know, that's not me. I'm not into organized religion. What are you into? Disorganized religion? You know, like, I, I don't get it. Like, God's like, I, didn't, I, did, I did not give an option here. I said, I want you to obey my commands. You're called out from the world. Come and meet with me. And so um, sometimes we choose options over obedience. Now, <clears throat> God hears our options, and when he does, here's what we're saying to him. I don't want you to be my king. I want you to be my advisor. I don't want you to be the Lord of my life. I just want you to be a coach. You know, just, just help me out a little bit. And God's like, it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't work that way. You have to recognize that I am Lord of your life. And if you do, the battles you'll face you'll, will result in victory. If you do, if you make me king of your life, you know that my army never fails. If you do, that you know the end of the book. Revelation says that we win, the church wins. If you're in the church, you win. If you're out of the church, you don't. It's just that simple. It really is. And so we need to obey the Lord. Choosing Jesus as our king demonstrates humility and leads to new life, like it did for Hannah and like it did for the disciples who followed Jesus. But Choosing Jesus as your king is not easy, and it's not a once-and-done deal. I don't know about you, but I constantly battle making Jesus my king when it comes to uh, a time or money or, or uh, you know, what I'm going to do with this moment. Like, making Jesus my king is a challenge, and it requires humility. 
That's not easy. But I'm going to tell you, the, the alternative, the consequence to choosing our own path will always lead to destruction. And that's why when we look in First and Second Samuel, we see these character studies, and we're like, mm, I need to pay attention. Complete obedience, that's, what I, that's where I need to be. And you have to make a choice. Everybody has to make a choice to follow this King Jesus. Once upon a time, there were a group of people who were sitting on a fence that divided a steep hillside from a lush valley. All the people who were sitting on the fence were wearing backpacks. So to one side is a steep incline, and to the other side is a lush green valley. And these people were sitting on this fence with their backpacks that contained their most important and prized possessions. Along came Jesus down that steep hillside, and uh, at the same time, Satan walked up from the valley below. And Satan began to mock them and asking them to, to follow him. But Jesus beckoned everyone to jump off the fence, throw away their packs. They would have to to make the strenuous climb up that hill. Little by little, some began to jump off the fence, drop their packs, and follow Jesus up the hill. But there were others that remained uncomfortably on the fence. So after a little while, Satan began laughing. And he said, all right, follow me. Well, those on the fence, they didn't want to follow Satan. So they said, no, we're not ready to choose yet. No, we want to stay right here. Satan shook his head. And he says, you don't understand. I own the fence. They had already made a choice by not choosing Jesus. You can stay on the fence, and that's a choice that you want Jesus as your king. Or you can make a choice to follow Jesus and make him king of your life and know that it not only leads to a new life, but a new purpose, new beginnings, new hope, a security, a peace that passes all understanding, and a new family of God. Let's pray. Father, I just ask you to be with the people that are here today that are, are wrestling with the lordship of Jesus in their lives. This is not easy. It is not an easy choice. And so, Father, we pray that your spirit would be at work, that would help those who are in struggling, struggling um, to make whatever step they need to take. Father, help them to know that by following you, there is a new life. And Lord, I just pray that we could, that we who've made this choice could encourage and direct people in following you because this is the only way to life is in Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us. You can find us on the web at cornerstonechatham.org.